<laughs> By the way, what? can I interrupt you really yeah. quick? That game did something that only anime does in the beginning. It had a flashback to a cutscene that you were still in. <laughs> Like it, it, did a, it did a flashback to something that happened like two minutes ago, which is something that only happens in did anime. It? That's funny. Uh, that anime does yes. this whole trope in anime. I don't. I didn't even it's realize it's a total that. anime thing. And I was like, "Fucking Kojima, man." That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> happened while i was gone because it was not hot in northern california where i was visiting i was up visiting kevin and it it, there it was it it was dry i mean it was kind of muggy in the apartment it was just like it's just like a a box of heat it was like stepping into a fucking oven Mm, no air circulation just hot yeah you know what the best conversation the most interesting thing to talk about is the weather how you guys doing good good Good, yeah, just good, <laughs> yeah, just, just good. good. Just that, good. That's it. Just another good. another week <laughs> at home, you know. Another day, another dollar. Uh, yeah. So, welcome to Jump Crouch. Uh, my name's Aaron. I'm here with Kevin, yep. and uh, rotating chair is going to Orin Luck today. How you doing? Hey, how's it going? Welcome back. I'm happy to be back. Two weeks in a row. This is or two podcasts in a row. This is sweet. So yeah. yeah. So we got a lot to talk about today. A little later, we're going to talk about some articles and kind of go into our thoughts on those and then we're going to talk about what we've been playing but um i spent the last week traveling as i've said and it's good to be home it's good to be playing games i have recently joined the ranks of the console gamer because i didn't have i had a playstation 3 but i don't think that counts it doesn't count i had no <laughs> it doesn't count. yeah i had no video game consoles <laughs> for the entire current gen yeah i've just i've just had a pc no eighth gen and i definitely have been missing out on some stuff I, yeah, I'd, uh, I'd say so. I mean, you got so this is like the Beatles of the Sony era right now, like mm. kind of like how the Beatles had the White Album, Sgt. Pepper, all of those great albums. Sony has like God of War, Horizon Zero Dawn, Death Stranding. It just goes on and on. So I'm happy you're joining that finally. It's, it's funny that he's joining it like the same year that the that the ninth generation of consoles are going to be coming out. Like a little late in the bandwagon. It's typical of me. Yeah, it's 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 unfortunately typical of me. Uh, but I, I'm excited. The, the thing that really pushed me over the edge was The Last of Us Part Two because uh, Death Stranding came to PC, which I did definitely really want to play. And I've been I've been sitting, kind of pining and biding my time to play uh, Bloodborne, which is gonna arrive in the mail today. But The Last of Us Part Two doesn't look like it's gonna be coming to PC anytime soon. And it did really seem like. Naughty Dog has finally made a game that I would really, really want to play. And I started playing it last night. I am about three or four hours into it. I'm into the main, well, I think it's the main, I don't know. I've, I've completed the prologue, which various highly dramatic things occur. No spoilers, but uh, I'm into the main, I, again, I think the main meat of the game. I'm in Seattle. I don't know. Oren, is that the main meat of the game? Uh, I'm not going to say anything. Okay. <laughs> right. But uh, I, I will say that the game is long. It is a long game. It is much longer than mm-hmm. a typical Naughty Dog game. And like I will 40, 50 hours? It at that. 30. I'd say Oof. 30. Wow. Yeah. Um, 
Well, it's, and the thing that that really sold me on this game is that it's it's got the Naughty Dog heritage of like really good storytelling, but it's not telling a story about a a boring, handsome white dude with with perfect <laughs> black hair. Like it's it seems like a more interesting story to me, um, and it's it's got some of these things that I wouldn't have associated with a Naughty Dog game like ten years ago. Like you use a, a a map and you have to like look at the map to navigate. There's no waypoints. Although I don't know if Naughty Dog games ever had waypoints. I think they always used those like uh, visual uh, landmarks in the distance. But um, it's it's very it's got a lot of like like user led stuff in in addition to being a, a well crafted tight linear experience. So it kind of it gives you room to breathe and like lets you really like dig into their narrative at the same time. Yeah, I would say so for sure. It's it's a I don't know, it's it's linear, but it has a nice openness to it that I kind of associate with God of War, uh the recent one in a sense because you'll just be on a path, right? And you'll have a, a general direction of where you need to go, but then you'll just see like a restaurant and you're like, "Oh, maybe I can go break the windows over there and see if there's something in there." And then you go into the restaurant and you discover like a note that some lore or you'll find some supplies or you'll find like a little mini area. And I think that structure works really nicely for that type of game. Mm-hmm. And, and it does a really good job of uh, letting the player solve puzzles in like in their mind, which is something I really value in video games that I think a lot of games don't do. I, I think it also has a robust hint system. So you can, if you don't want to do that, you can do that. But like like in a, an early example is I'm in a grocery store and I find a note uh, that's, that says, you know, like this is kind of typical video game stuff, but like the key to the uh, to the safe is is uh, is my baby's uh, it was when was the month that my uh, baby was employee of the month. So you have to kind of scour around the store to find the plaques with the employee of the month and guess which one would be the right one. And then it turns out that that's the date that opens the safe and you get a bunch of cool supplies and stuff. But like I appreciate that sort of type of gameplay where like you're not following waypoints, you're not watching meters fill up, but you're doing something in your head and you're solving the problem and then you're you're getting a nice little reward for it. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. I was it I actually really like that safe you're talking about, and I thought it had a really clever solution that actually made me smile. I'm not gonna spoil it for anyone who's listening, but it's the mm. kind of thing where when you figure out the answer to that puzzle, I kind of giggled. And and that's what I love about those puzzles is that they're not necessarily super challenging, but they're mm-hmm. but they're just clever enough where it takes a few seconds to figure it out or maybe not like a few seconds, like 30 seconds maybe. And I kind of like that because one criticism I had of the Uncharted games, even though I love Uncharted 4, even Uncharted 4, there would just be times where I'm playing the game and Nathan Drake will say something like, <laughs> I think that uh, that token goes over there. Yeah. <laughs> yep. And and it's so frustrating because it's like, oh, like, why do you even have this puzzle in this game if you're just going to tell me what the solution is? It's So I really appreciate that The Last of Us Part 2 allows, as you said, the player to kind of figure it out in their mind. It's It's refreshing. That's funny because I was just thinking about like, hmm, I better go push that box over there. Like that's something that I remember happening in Uncharted a lot. And it was kind of like, okay, I guess they think that I don't know what to do here. So they're like, okay, let's give them a little nudge of help. Um, but it sounds like what you're yeah. describing reminds me a little bit of like our experience in playing Daisy 
and just like trying to even find each other in the world of like using actual world landmarks and things like using like totally. the in-game world rather than using like menus or maps or like like in-game maps that is not like an actual map you're holding like it's i guess it's right. less gamey and a little more like really if that makes any sense I don't know if that's the right. Yeah, no, it's definitely taking the sort of inspiration from Far Cry 2, where in like Far Cry 2, you didn't have a mini map, you didn't have waypoints, you had to look at a physical map and, and orient yourself on that. Like, I think you did have a little waypoint or a little dot on the map that would show you where you were. And you, certainly you do have that in The Last of Us. But you have to look at a map and you have to look at street signs and you have to navigate on your own, which I really, I really appreciate. And I think it's something that I think Far Cry, or sorry, sorry, Assassin's Creed Odyssey also does this in in a way that sort of like gives the the breadth of the world like uh, a lot of value instead of just being something that you just sort of chew on and consume. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I don't know. Like this game is doing a lot of the things that I think that good immersive sims or some of these more experimental games from ten years ago, like they picked up a lot of the of the of the good virtues of those games, like letting you explore stuff in certain ways and just find, you know, like exploring your own time and just finding little treats and and little goodies and rewards for that. Um, It's, it's just, it's not when I think of a naughty dog game, like the uncharted two, you're really just every moment there's one thing that you can do and that's the right thing to do or you're, you're fail stating. And this game is not like that at all. There are moments where that happens, which, which are usually quite thrilling and well done, but there's a lot of like, letting you to your own device and just sort of let you sort of find the environment and there's lots of uh, environmental storytelling like every environment has has actually really good environmental storytelling and you can kind of piece together who lived in this place before you and what happened in the history of the places it's really really well done Hmm. so maybe it's like a world that feels like it's actually lived in and not just a set piece Mm -hmm. like it's not just a playground for you to run around in it actually absolutely yeah. yeah that's like what Rockstar, I think, also does well, right? Like in Red Dead, too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, definitely. So yeah. I have a question unrelated to that about the game. Um, I, I've had conversations with people about this, and, uh, and this is not just a Last of Us thing, but like about like how long does it take you from pressing the new game button to like getting to the point where you're playing like the actual game? Like, is it, is it like an hour? Is it two hours? Is it like playing the five actual s- game? Yeah. Oh, a, so like, like I often talk about people like, I, you know, I want to start this new game, but like, I don't want to have to go through the whole beginning thing. And it's not, I'm not the only person to express this. Like a lot of people I've yeah. talked to like, <laughs> you don't want to start a new game because like, it's going to take a long time. It's like it's at the beginning, the intro cut scene, and then they have like the tutorial stuff. And it's like the first last of us for me was a huge offender of this. It takes like an hour before you get to like playing the stealth parts or not, or maybe even be it's like an hour and a half. I don't know. I, I can't remember exactly, but it's a while. So I'm just curious. For, like, well, there's a 15 minute any, prologue. How, what is it? Okay, so in The Last of Us, how long is it before... There, there's an entire prologue section which lasts about three hours where there's definitely a ton of cutscenes and story elements, mm. but you're constantly moving in and out of them. Mm-hmm. I'd say the first time that you're using the controller and moving a character is probably 15 seconds into the game or something. Okay. Like like pretty quick. And you're, and you're yeah. doing the game stuff, yeah. not just like moving a character forward, right? No, you're riding a horse. Okay. Uh, but... <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I, I will I will say though that I don't know there's something about the tone of this game and I'm gonna say this about without spoiling it but once you're once the game starts mm. you're in it you're just kind of you and you feel like something really bad's gonna mm. happen <laughs> yeah and definitely. I think that just completely drew me in completely and then you're just hooked and and, and the gameplay does start 
fairly well. You're taken on a, a mission, just a routine mission to mm-hmm. clear out clickers, uh, which are the zombies basically of the Last of Us world. And it happens very naturally, and it gets right into it right away. It it doesn't have the four hour yeah. winter prologue. Yeah, of that, Red that's Day like 2, the the worst you know? offender I think <laughs> of all of them. It's like the slowest. I think Rockstar does like, that. Like Rockstar always has a huge prologue. It's section. such it's like a misprest. Like, like if you yeah. were to show someone that, like they'd have no idea what the game actually was about at all. Mm. Like it's not. It doesn't re- reflect what you're doing yeah. in the game. And like I think that's like something that people should like developers should try and be aware of like try and not do that so much and i don't know if the second game like i said i don't know about that but the first game i felt like they had that too so i'm just well, curious if I, that's like a thing I still or not you're missing like i think you're I, I think that you're latching on to certain things that you find pleasant and unpleasant about the game because i do think that the last of us is to the original game like Tim Rogers talks about these prestige tours which which are basically you walking yeah. through a space mm-hmm. and sort of like living in the space and and I think that maybe you weren't really because I think it's doing that from the very beginning of the game and that is a big part of what the last of us the original game does yeah it, are these prestige tours and I think you know the genesis of the prestige tour is like half-life the tram right? ride yeah the tram ride but also the beginning of half-life you, you're walking into a building you're talking to all the people uh you're talking to Barney and the scientists you're going and you're pushing the little thing like half-life is, is, is the perfect example of a game that takes, uh, I think, like an hour to get into the, the sort of like nuts and bolts mechanics of the game. But that was the thing that blew our mind about that. Right. Game. But that's kind of like part of my point is like that, like that was like the 90s, you know, that was like a long time ago. <laughs> well, that was 1998. But, yeah. no, no, but I think there's room within video games to have games that do that if they do it, if they do it well. But you're going to have to care about the stuff yeah. in the the quote-unquote prestige tour for that to work for you and if it if you don't i think what happened with the first game is it didn't pull me in like i didn't feel connected with the story mm-hmm. so i felt like i it was just right. a long drawn out thing so mm-hmm. i felt i felt like god of war has the same thing but it pulled me in more initially like i was more right. drawn in by kratos's story and how they were telling it uh, yeah. but you also start out combat in that game within like i think 10 minutes like you're getting an idea of what the yeah. game plays like quickly I mean, I don't. I don't have a counter. I'll say that I was not bored at okay. all. Doing you felt the like first it was engaging. Three hours. And yeah. No, I, I felt like it was super engaging. And my girlfriend was sitting on the couch next to me, like chewing on her fingernails the whole time. Oh yeah. I I, I just want to say I'm going to jump in. I actually was one of those people back in 2013 who played The Last of Us, and I really liked it, but I didn't really understand the mm-hmm. hype. Like I thought the game was really good, and then it had a brilliant ending. And that's all I got mm. from it. Like I thought it was, it was a solid ride with a great ending. But this game, uh, first of all, I played through it twice, which is saying something. Yeah. Um, also, I just, I was just riveted the whole time, and I had an intense emotional journey that I wasn't expecting with this game. And by the by the end of it, I was just like in tears. Mm. <laughs> so it's. It, it, it had me the whole way through. I think even for like a 30-hour game, it does have some pacing issues, uh, particularly halfway through the game, I'd say. But overall, I was totally in it from beginning to end. It's it's riveting. Um, Do you think it's the best Unchar- or Unchar- sorry, Night Dog game? Yeah, I think so. Uh, hands down. Um, 
definitely kind of a contentious opinion considering how toxic the debate has become yeah. mm-hmm. surrounding yeah. this game but um but i think it's the it's the best one it's definitely uh as aaron said i think it's the first naughty dog game that actually has good gameplay okay and that's cool and i think and i think they also just perfected the cinematic thing they're going for um, yeah no absolutely i i think that this is i mean i i can't i haven't played uh that much of uncharted 4 and i've played a bit of lost legacy but i found that this game's gameplay and its storytelling really like we're complementing each other and really working in tonal harmony in a very strong way and the gameplay kind of reminds me of, of kind of a slightly pared down like almost you know a good stealth game like it's it's good it is good stealth uh with collecting and stuff yeah. kind of like what i a lot of what i liked about prey or, or certain immersive sims it's doing that same kind of thing so it has systems and, and factions and stuff you can play against each other and or no okay no 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 <laughs> that's just not, the exploration no, no, no. i said a piece. stealth there, game there, there there is there is some of it there is some of it i will say there's some of that playing factions thing later okay. in the game i always love that mm. that's slight spoiler but okay. yeah but it's not it's not like a fully fleshed out system it's more like in the moment like for example you'll see a group of um just a group of uh soldiers or whatever or um, survivors and then you'll just see a band of clickers off to the corner and you can lure the clickers to attack them for hmm. example mm-hmm. uh w- which is pretty fun and i do that pretty much every time <laughs> i see that opportunity it's a very so. satisfying thing to, to, to do that in games like there's something about that i really love doing and i think that's part of what i love right. the immersive sims is like drawing that out Mm-hmm. Um, I, I had I had another yeah. thing I wanted to ask you guys about that game, <clears throat> and I talked about this when I, we were watching the pre-release footage way back when. Was uh, yeah, the depiction of violence in that game is different than it is in a lot of other games. It's like much more realistic and brutal, kind of like how it is in Manhunt. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like that awkward, like real kind of brutalness. And I, like you guys both have played it. I don't know. I, I know Orin, you completed it twice. Aaron, I think I'm not sure how many hours you are in, but like, what was your thoughts on that? Like, I felt like to me it was kind of like like I felt kind of disgusted by it but like i understand like there's a purpose behind that in that game and like i'm interested in that i think that's like an interesting idea so i'm just curious like what your thoughts are on that i i think it's uh it reminds me of movies like no country for old men or uh, a history of violence just very brutal gameplay where you really feel like you're killing an actual mm-hmm. person mm. uh i i remember the first time i uh i fired around into another person's neck and i thought i would have this cathartic reaction like oh this is awesome you're gonna see like the blood spray on the wall behind them it's gonna be dope but like i shoot the person in the neck and the first thing i hear is uh somebody off to this side yell marty just like yell the guy's name (laughs) and i was like oh this is a person and then the second thing i see is the guy choking on the bullet in his throat Mm -hmm. and and in that moment i was like oh my god this is this is happening, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I would add to that. Like, I think um, so far, my experience with the violence in the game hasn't been anything more extreme than I would have seen in many movies or in something like Game of Thrones. Like, it's it's ugly violence, but it's not like pornographic violence. Uh, to, to, but I, the one thing that I think that this game really shows is that Naughty Dog is a company that has really taken seriously the criticism that both their narratives, their narrative depictions, and their gameplay have received over the last 
15 years. I mean, obviously they've received a ton of praise, but there's been a lot of, of, of criticism too. And it seems like they've listened to all of it, internalized it and really thought about it. So you contrast a game like this with like, you know, uncharted two, where you're just like shooting locals Mm -hmm. and laughing about it. Like, like this game depicts violence the way violence more or less is. Uh, and it's, you know, it's, it never feels pornographic. So it's not like gross out, like it's, it's more just like, Oh, that's, this like Oren said, this this is a person's life is ending, right? So in in a way, and in that in that yeah. in the way that you're framing it, it sounds like it. And also from what I've read about the game, in terms of spoilers, I'm not going to talk about what they are, but like it seems like that is like somewhat maybe transgressive to what Naughty Dog was, and then maybe the narrative also is. So like it sounds like they they're doing something different with this game than they've done in the past. Like, would you guys agree with that? Uh, yeah, I, th- I think with the first Last of Us, they touched on it. They were kind of, I, d- I don't know, it was interesting because I was listening to uh, the Kind of Funny podcast and Greg Miller said that the first Last of, Last of Us is kind of like a colored sketch of the oil painting that the Last of Us Part Two would mm. become. And I kind of, fe- I feel like that's appropriate because the first game after having played the second game, it feels like a dry run for the second game in mm-hmm. a lot of ways. Like they've completed what they kind of mapped out with the first game. And that, that pertains to the violence as well. Like I remember in the first game playing it and being shocked and feeling like I was killing a person, but they really, they up that a lot in not only the gameplay, but also the storytelling. Uh, the story does some things with perspective which I won't spoil, that really makes you think about the people you're mm. killing. Um, and it's it's fascinating how it's done. It's a total ego trip. Mm. Um, it, it, it's, a, it's a wild ride from beginning to end. Um, yeah. I, I would say that we can close up on this game, but it, it really it feels like a studio that has matured in, in every aspect of its game development and narrative thinking. Like, they've come a long way, and they've always obviously been making really high-quality well-respected games but like they've they've really like stepped into a point where they're they're very very much mature artists working and working very deftly with the medium so Hmm. i'm interested in playing it so like i think you would like it actually to be honest with you i think it's this is yeah so like the first game didn't super grab me so like i'm definitely like from what i've heard about this one like i'm like oh maybe this one is for me like i'm gonna try it out and you know i have a ps4 well well (laughs) Yeah, for for the record, uh, I actually uh, similar games like it, like God of War and The Last of Us. Like I, I I like those games, but I didn't love those games like I love The Last of Us Part Two for okay. what it's worth. So so maybe it will be for you. I I think it is definitely one of those games though where not everyone's going to connect to it, but the people who connect to it are really going to connect to it a lot. Definitely. It's definitely like it's very a polarizing game, and I think that's also compelling. Like some people hate it and some of the fans oh, hate sure. it too. So I'm definitely like, I think that's like interesting that they did something that, mm-hmm. you know, they didn't do something for the fans. They did something for what they, what they wanted to do. So I think that's I'm just, it's all interesting to me. Keeping an eye on it. Yeah. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah. No, you should check it out. All right. Uh, on that note, I'm going to say, let's take a quick break and we'll be right back. You know what it reminds me of? And I should have said this on the podcast. It, it, it reminds me of a more aggressive, more narrative driven uh, alien isolation like it has a very oh, cool similar that gameplay good. to alien isolation that game is great yeah. gameplay. but with with a bigger uh, space I, 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 w- I was gonna say triple a hotline miami like <laughs> the gameplay the gunplay like the gunplay reminds me of hotline miami because you're using like all of your it's like okay i have one bullet in my revolver 
two bullets in my rifle and there's four guys. How am nice. I going to do this? Yeah, that's cool. No, yeah, you have to make tough decisions. Uh, we might as well just consider yeah. ourselves back in the podcast. And uh, yeah. let's talk. Let's close up about Ghost of Tsushima. Oren, you made a really great video about Ghost of Tsushima and Akira Kurosawa. Thank you. Uh, I really enjoyed watching that. I think everybody should check that out. Where can we find that? Oh, you can find it on my YouTube channel. Um, Oren Luck. O-R-R-I-N-L-U-C is the YouTube channel. And it's a channel that looks at video games through the lens of filmmaking. For example, I'll take a video game and then look at a movie in relation to it to show how one informs or influences the other. And this most recent video was about Ghost of Tsushima. So um, I was... Here's the thing about Ghost of Tsushima. Um, I loved the game for the first 10 hours. And that was... The tenth hours when I was on the podcast. Last say what week. happened? So <laughs> you, you loved it when last time I talked to you. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, so when you when when I was talking about it, I was like really thrilled about it. I was like, "This is awesome!" But literally, the moment I started playing it again, the formulaic the formula exposed itself. Basically, like it was like, "Oh, this is I'm doing the same things over and over again." Mm-hmm. And the seam started to show a lot. And I think the problem is, is that the game just repeats side activities too much. Mm. Um, You only really do the same eight activities over and over again. You invade Mongol forts. You do story missions. you, You you do haikus. You make haikus. You do bamboo strikes you just do like the same eight activities over and over again and it's amazing at first which is why i was so high on ghost of tsushima mm. last week but now i i've got i'd say like the first 10 hours were incredible like a masterpiece but once the seams start to show it becomes a pretty good game but not a great game for the last 20 hours and i don't think the game ever reclaims the momentum of those first 10 hours. It's still great. Highly recommend it. I liked it more than Horizon Zero Dawn, Mm. for what it's worth, um, which I talked about last week. Um, But overall, I think the game doesn't live up to those first 10 hours, unfortunately. That is a shame. Um, Do you think it's better than Sucker Punch's previous games? The uh, superhero, what's it called? Superhero games. Infamous. Oh, infamous. I, I, I actually don't think so. And the reason why is because the first infamous had a really cool morality mm-hmm. system where one of the things that I love about infamous, and I'm surprised more games don't do this more actually is your morality affects how people around the world respond to mm-hmm. you. And I kind of wish I saw a little bit more of that in ghost of Tsushima. I actually thought it was kind of a missed opportunity because they kind of advertise this system of samurai and ghost where you can kind of be if you play more ninja you'll be more dishonored and more feared in society while if you played more samurai and upfront and honorable people would honor you more they kind of set that up in the early hours of the game but it's actually it's not actually a mechanic in the game it's just a part of the story mm. And I thought that was kind of disappointing. I feel like if they had another year of development and just made it a PS5 exclusive, it would have had this really interesting, infamous style morality storytelling that would have been so fascinating, 
so I thought it was kind of a missed opportunity. Um, things that it does have going for it, though, it has uh, it has very relaxing gameplay overall. It's just very it, it's it's like video game ASMR. <laughs> <laughs> you'll just be like you'll just be kind of strolling around. You're like looking at like the uh, beautiful cherry blossoms. You everything has a heavy sense of art direction that's evocative of Japanese paintings. But, um, and the combat feels great. The combat doesn't like, Oh, it pretty much always feels great. Like you get to the point where you're so overpowered, where you'll just see a group of 25 Mongols and you'll just take them out. Uh, So Ubisoft kind of thing. You become like a God basically. Yeah. For better Mm -hmm. and worse. Um, it it gets to the point where the game is just too easy, Mm. (laughs) Mm. but, um, but it is fun being a god. Yeah. I mean, can be fun. But I think it does affect the longe- longevity a lot. Like I was also playing. I talked about this last week too. But I was, I, I had a total samurai month last month <laughs> where I played uh, Ghost of Tsushima and Neo Two. And Neo Two was always hard. Like even as you leveled up, it was always challenging. Mm-hmm. It never felt like it was getting too easy. And contrasting that with ghost of tsushima where it's really challenging for those first 10 hours and then it's like wow this is really easy all of a sudden can you change the difficulty Um, (laughs) in that game in tsushima you can you can but i changed it from hard to lethal because they just recently patched it with a lethal Mm -hmm. difficulty and it was still too easy it was maybe i'm just too desensitized by from software games sekiro turned into a master ninja yeah <laughs> mm. yeah exactly so maybe i'm the problem you know what i'm the problem most people just love unassuming open world games that are samey and formulaic i get it um not that's totally a backhanded compliment but whatever <laughs> um. backhanded compliment humble brag uh I, humble brag. yeah it, it, it sounds like that might just be a problem with this game i, I think the 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 tendency of open world games to give you too much shit to do and sort of undervalue what 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 a, the strength of an open world game is is sort of like experiencing the environment and finding little stories in it uh, is 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 a problem and I think it has to do with attention spans and the way we consume video games and the way we, we, the way we consume media in general is to sort of munch it up instead of sit back and just relax in it. It's true. Yeah, yeah. I think. Yeah, I think that. That also kind of touches on a couple other problems with open world games where I just think open world games are just too long Mm. in general. Uh, One of my favorite open world games this generation was Shadow of Mordor. Mm -hmm. And part of the reason why I love that game so much is that it's only about 15 hours long. Mm. And I or another great example is Far Cry 3 Blood Dragon. Mm -hmm. It's like an eight hour long open world game. game. That's a good one. Yeah. Yeah, I just don't understand why developers feel pressure because there. I guess there's this content pressure. It's like we always have to have more content, but right, content. I, I, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I, th- I, I just think it would be better for a lot of these games like Ghost of Tsushima. If Ghost of Tsushima was a 20-hour game, I think it would be way better than a 35-hour game. Hmm. It just feels, but like I reached the end of the first act, and when I found out that there were two more acts and two more islands, I was like, "Gosh, really? Like, I don't want to do this." <laughs> right? Do you, do you use fast travel in that game, or does it even have fast travel? Um, I it does have fast travel, and I was getting to the point where I was using it all the time because I just couldn't stand it anymore. Right? Like, I just 
like uh, another Mongol patrol. All right. I mean, that's, I that's one thing I find with open world games is that I think I've only really completed one of these like massive sprawling open world games ever. I've I played Elder Scroll, all the Elder Scrolls games, Fallout games, uh, you know, Red Dead, both of the Red Dead games, and I never ever beat these games because I get to a point where like I've seen enough of the world and I've done enough of the things in it that I'm like. Mm. Okay, like like I got what I what I came there for, and the the story usually isn't it, but um, yeah. It's funny because I've played like all of those games, <laughs> completed all of them. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah uh, Red, I will say, uh, Red Dead Two, even though it's a long game, it has a pretty pretty dope story. That's. I, I might go it back ended and up finish on four, that So one. actually, uh, problematically, I'd say the ended up being the only reason I played it, and the like, I just rushed through the story missions, and then. My girlfriend's playing it right now, and she's doing all these things I've never seen. I'm like, Wait, where did where did you find this? I didn't know this was in the game. Like, there's so many things <laughs> right. that I missed, just rushing through the campaign. So, I think that's part of the problem is that people want to play open world games like they are linear single player yeah. games, and I think that some developers get confused and make the games that way. When like for me, the real joy of an open world game is is going into the space and experience experiencing the space and kind of paving my own way. And, and some of my fondest memories of Skyrim or the, you know, Red Dead or even, you know, Assassin's Creed Odyssey are things, me going out and doing things that have really nothing to do with uh, the direct intent of the designers and just sort of like making my own little stories. Yeah. And I think that those games can be really good at that if, if they're, if they don't try to put you on this treadmill of like complete all these missions and just do all these checklists. Um, yeah. And part of it is like, is, is, is really the sort of, way that you approach the game i think because when i talk to like my little brother who is 14 he does not like linear games he does not like senior uh single player games he likes sandbox games because he was weaned off minecraft and he's very adept at making his own fun and, and finding his own way and he gets he feels kind of stifled when he plays a game that that's really kind of directing him down a path and it's it's interesting because i think so many people of our generation are much more used to games telling us how to play them and we feel we can sometimes feel a little lost if we don't have the game kind of giving us some sense of direction Mm -hmm. i don't know what do you guys think about that i think that's accurate and i also think like when i was young how i approached games i was so much more like imaginative and i'd like spend much more time on very small details than now where I'm just like, got to consume all the content, got to play the DLC, got to get the, got the best weapon, got to do like, now I'm much more like goal oriented, right. whereas I used to be yeah. much more about like the experience of whatever it was I was doing. And I was just mm-hmm. talking about this recently with my girlfriend. Like, I really want to get back to being that way of being like, oh, I care about this detail. Like, I'm just going to hang out on this beach in the game for 10 minutes just because it's a nice place. Totally. Not because like I need to go run, do the next thing and go kill this guy. Like, no, I'll just go hang out here and for a second and just like take it in. I used to be much more like that. And I'm like trying to get out of that. And I think it's like, it's yeah. Yeah. You have to be intentional about it. I think for me, like my, I was tracing it back and like my experience is like becoming an adult and having a job and having to like work in a goal oriented lifestyle versus when I was a kid, I was like much more free to like be imaginative and and Mm -hmm. just, you know, do my own thing. So, but also like technology is shaping us that way. The gamification of everything and the way that every game has little XP bars that fill. Like we've mm-hmm. just kind of become addicted to these like dopamine cycles. Yeah. And it's something that when I was playing Assassin's Creed Odyssey, like there is a billion temples in that game. And I and I realized that I'd played the game for like 40 hours at one point. And you know, I've not played the game for over 100 hours. But at the 40 hour mark, I realized I hadn't even really spent a moment 
looking at what was inside the Parthenon, mm-hmm. which is a giant temple that you can see <laughs> yeah. from, you know, a, a piece of ancient antiquity that it still exists. So I walked inside the Parthenon and I just kind of looked at the murals and tried to think about what they were about. And then I walked around Athens and I, you know, I listened to a, a guy play his lute and sing a song. And I, I really dig the song and the lute and watch the people dancing and started to spend more time inhabiting the world and thinking about like the subjectivity of being, you know, somebody in this mythical version of ancient Greece rather than like, I got to do the thing. I got to kill the Spartan commander. I got to do this and that. Like, and I was having much more fun. And at that point I almost completely stopped using fast travel and whatever. So I was getting way less done, right? I would do a mission and it would take way longer, but I was having much more of an epic experience uh, doing each quest because there was so much buildup, even if it just meant that I had to, you know, ride for three or four kilometers to get to the place, mm-hmm. like the little things that would happen on the way and what I would see. It, it, I think it is kind of, a, it really is a mindset is what I'm saying. Like you have to kind of cultivate a mindset of like appreciating what the thing's doing at a level other than just I'm completing tasks, I'm completing tasks, I'm getting a little dopamine reward. Meters are filling up. Yeah, I, I actually kind of want to chime in on that. And actually, I know we already closed the topic on this, but uh, bringing back The Last of Us Part Two, I think that game integrates that really well in the game design because there will just be moments in that game where you'll be just kind of rummaging through areas and just making small talk with whichever companion you're with mm-hmm. and just kind of absorbing the surroundings and... I remember reading reviews about that game saying that those parts were boring and hurt the pacing, but I loved mm. those parts because there would just be these moments where you're just, there's no combat, there's no real tension, and you're just exploring these small little areas just looking for resources, and those moments just felt so textured in a way that so many video games don't mm. feel, and I think... I think sometimes it could be a pacing thing because with open world games, sometimes you get so overwhelmed with the amount of stuff in the world to do that you kind of get into this XP hunt, as Aaron was saying. But it, it's really nice when you play a game like The Last of Us Part Two or even uh, Death Stranding, which kind of forces you to just kind of absorb your surroundings. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very valuable, and uh, I really appreciate it when developers take that into consideration yeah no i I agree the last of us part two i've not seen a single meter fill up i've i haven't had any of those typical gamified dopamine reward systems i I haven't seen anything like that in the game and and there's there's no waypoints like it's very much a game that's about kind of like intentionally guiding yourself through it and then following the clues laid out by the developers and enjoying the spaces and the narratives and the little stories so yeah uh speaking of death stranding kevin yeah i just completed it <laughs> did you beat that I did. yeah i beat it it's funny because like i was like is it over i can't tell if it's over is it over mm. is it over uh You're like norman reedus is naked again i, I don't know I don't know. is it over is yet now the and then like the credits rolled and i was like okay then i was like expecting ocelot to be on the phone with someone after the credit <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> mr <laughs> president um but i did complete it is done um it was uh, a great experience overall i was thinking about like that game and how it's like it's it's cutting edge or is it not cutting edge like people disagree like they don't you know it, it was a mixed reviewed game right and i was thinking like kojima's been making like you know cutting edge games since 1987 when he released the original metal gear 
which mm-hmm. uh, is an impressively long time for <laughs> someone to be making things that are like you know for gaming. I think at least that's that's like that's a long right. run. It's impressive. Um, I also was thinking about how like is it the spiritual successor to Metal Gear or is it not? I don't know. Somewhat, maybe not. Hmm. Like if you look at uh, Konami, they like they had their two of their biggest franchises, Metal Gear and, and uh, Castlevania. Like Castlevania's got its one to one bloodstained right that's its spiritual successor but like death stranding is and isn't i think it's like partially metal gear but it's also like a different direction like it definitely has some things about like there's a couple things about it that i'm not gonna talk about specifically but one minor thing is like there's humanoid enemies you fight and they they wear like balaclavas that look very similar and just their whole look looks like they could be in metal gear like they look like metal gear enemies like specifically like the metal gear Solid two soldiers like they just remind me of them in the way that they engage with you and like the game uh I don't know. It just has that like Kojima look to it. You know how he ha- he has like mm-hmm. a distinct style. I think like you can look at something like Kojima, like that's that's Hideo Kojima. Like he has a it's, it's Kojima anime. Yeah, he <laughs> like anime Kojima. He has like a vision, I guess, like, or a, st- a vision. A style. By the way, what? can I interrupt you really yeah. quick? That game did something that only anime does in the beginning. It had a flashback to a cutscene that you were still in. <laughs> Like it, it, did a, it did a flashback to something that happened like two minutes ago, which is something that only happens in did anime. It? That's funny. Uh, that anime does yes. this whole trope in anime. I don't. I didn't even it's realize it's a total that. anime thing. And I was like, "Fucking Kojima, man." That's really funny. <laughs> <laughs> That's so uh, good. But um, that game was awesome. I really did enjoy it. Uh, like I, I had some nitpicks with it. Like specifically, how the vehicles handle is really annoying. Like they don't mm. drive well. Mm. They just don't drive well. Mass Effect One quality. No, like a, not Mass Effect. Did you complete it, Oren? Uh, you know what? I I'm gonna sound like a hack because I made a video. Shame. I, I've I've never completed it, but it's I don't know. I want to. I want to. I like I I got like enough far enough to make the video I want to make. Okay, mm. like whatever. You got, you got a sense of the game. I don't think you need to beat the whole game to get a sense for sure. That's kind of what Aaron was saying. Uh, but yeah, like yeah. Right. No, it. it I'm glad you beat it. I'm I'm kind of thinking like, did your opinion evolve as you got closer to? Because I heard as you get closer to the end, the gameplay changes up a lot. Is that true? It does. It does. Or, depending uh, on what part you're talking about. Uh, yes. Um, okay. So the thing that's funny is I now know all of the answers from all of those amazing trailers. Mm. And it's like, is it better knowing or not? I don't know. Oh. You know. Huh. So like all the questions that I had huh. a month or two ago are now answered, and it's kind of like the classic like is it better knowing or not? I don't know, but uh, the story was cool. I think there's like a couple moments in the cutscenes that were kind of like like this is cheesy, <laughs> and this is a, a Hideo fan saying this, but like it was just a couple moments of like this is silly, but like I did overall like everything. Like it's it's a great game. If I had to compare it to like his last game MGS5, like I think that's definitely a better game, but. Death Stranding is a is a great like continuation, and I'm glad that it exists and like that he's still making games in his style. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I I, I think uh, that game's a perfect example of an auteur who has kind of perfected what he's known for, yeah. and he's interested in doing something totally different and just shaking mm-hmm. things up. Um, which I think is super interesting. It kind it kind of reminds me of um. Like the French, there's this French filmmaker Jean Luc Godard. Like in the '60s, he made a lot of like really like fun, whimsical French 
kind of gangster rom-coms and he kind of perfected that and he was famous for that and then when he got into the 70s he became very abstract mm. and that's kind of what reminds that reminds me of uh Hideo Kojima kind of like the guy who was like okay I kind of got the story thing down I got the stealth gameplay thing down now I'm gonna just completely throw that out the window and just do something nobody has really done in the AAA space before mm-hmm. which I think yeah. is so and interesting I, and I commend um, him for that because yeah, you're totally right it's exactly like it's definitely he's doing his own thing for sure like no one's doing that and I respect that for sure it's it's good yeah, I would so, say like I, I'm looking forward you to should playing definitely more. Play it, Aaron. It's a great game. Yeah, um, it's it it's it's I I really enjoyed it. I like sometimes wish I had more combat in it just because I like the combat, but mm-hmm. it does have combat. And some some people probably didn't like the combat. They're probably like, thank God there wasn't that much of it. So I could see hmm. why. I don't know. It's 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 an experience, for sure. That's what I want out of a video game. Is it's an experience. I feel like I'm getting that out of The Last of Us. I feel like I'm gonna get that out of Death Stranding. And I feel like I got that out of Assassin's Creed Odyssey, which, by the way, I have, I, I said earlier that I've never completed an open world, like a proper open world game. I have completed every fucking story quest of Assassin's Creed Odyssey. Yeah, good job. Which, Woo-hoo! which is, which is kind of a surprise to me. Like, I actually cared for some reason about the story mm-hmm. enough to finish it. Um, and I'm still playing the game, although I might be slowing down. I've hit about 100 hours and I've, I've, completed all of the main story quests there's still lots to do and i still have the dlc which is pretty interesting can we all agree that cassandra is um, like one of the best protect female character protagonists she's great she's, she's super so great good. uh like, she's and, so good yeah i really like cassandra i definitely enjoy it so i still i still gotta play this game <laughs> I, I really liked it i mean you may or may not like it it may not be for you because the, it, it can give you that feeling of like i got a start following this checklist or something but but yeah some of the things you were complaining about are there but i think if you have the right attitude about it or like the attitude that i took to it like i was a really engaged in the story so i was Mm -hmm. and the story quests unlike red dead redemption which i think everything red dead redemption 2 does is great except for their quest design their mission design is horseshit from like 1998 it's like what do you have to say something funny about that game (laughs) this is like ridiculous okay so like in the game you're a duchess gang right not spoiler right you're fighting the O'Driscolls, mm-hmm. yeah. not a spoiler, they're in the first mission of the game, right? Dutch's yeah. gang is like 10 people. My Arthur has killed 550 O'Driscolls. So right. that means yeah. no, Odri- Colmo O'Driscoll <laughs> has a private army of Irishmen that I've killed personally. It's a fucking nation. Like, it's like, what is, this is <laughs> yeah. absurd. Like, how can I even take this seriously? Like, it's so, like, with how serious the narrative in that game is, it's just absurd that yeah. my Arthur's killed not just O'Driscoll's 550 of them. It's classic Ludo narrative dissonance, and it's 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 so and it's not even fun to do. The shooting isn't fun. So like the thing about Assassin's Creed Odyssey is you will go and you will kill lots of Spartans, but presumably there's a lot of Spartans and Athenians to kill. Makes much more uh, sense. But the yeah. combat's fun. The missions the missions are not overly long, and the, you you never do the chase thing. The thing that that's like this is like the rock star classic mission design going back to the original grand theft auto games is go walk up to a person have a cut scripted argument with them and then chase them yeah. through the city down a linear path yep. which is just the least fun thing to so do bad, and you do yeah. it every one of their games yep um so yeah anyway assassin's creed odyssey i fucking loved every minute of it um very 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 fun and still i i'm leaving the game i mean i'm not sure if i'm leaving the game or not but like if i don't, don't play the game anymore i'm still very high on all the things that you do like i still find the different uh mechanics and gameplay to be very fun and fulfilling 
So like instead of instead of getting bored of the gameplay and just leaving the game, I'm just like you know leaving it on a high note potentially. Mm-hmm. Well, well, it sounds like that one has a lot of variety because uh, Ghost of Tsushima, you literally just do like the same stuff over and over again. Mm-hmm. It's very much, it's more like Assassin's Creed three level. Excuse me, Assassin's Creed three level design, mm-hmm. and I was just very. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, it was just it, it felt very dated. Let's just put it that way, and that kind of that goes to the cutscenes too. Uh, at least Red Dead Two has just like quality cutscenes. The cutscenes, mm-hmm. I was so excited for the cutscenes of Ghost of Tsushima because I was like, oh my Kurosawa. gosh, they're doing the whole yeah. Kir- Kurosawa thing, right? And uh, my video is about this, by the way, where I'm like watching these cutscenes and I'm like, these are like PS3 cutscenes. These are not yeah, Kurosawa yeah. level cutscenes. Like, give me a break. Yeah. Like, they're just like these two like mannequin faces talking to each other about the Mongols. Like, come on. that What is this? This is ridiculous. Yeah. One more thing. Definitely <laughs> crash test Death dummies. Stranding's faces are the best I've ever seen in the game. There was a couple moments where I mm. felt like I was looking oh, at Oh, I believe face. it. I will say that so is also true of The Last of Us Part Two. I'd say those two games have really nailed facial animations. And I was playing Uncharted Lost, The Lost Legacy the night before, and those facial animations are not even nearly as good mm. as what's in The Last of Us Two. So clearly they they figured something out. But like there will be a mo- like the eyes are really really good in both of those games, both Death Stranding and The Last of Us Two, where like you really kind of like oh this is a real person, and then there will be like just a slight moment where they'll do something weird. You'll be like ah. <laughs> It's a doll. <laughs> what, what happened? Um, but uh, yeah, uh, is there any other games that we want to talk about? I guess. Well, I talked about Neo Two. That game, I touched on it. I, I beat that game, and it, it was great. I think it's actually one of the. I think in terms of just sheer fun, that's got to be one of the best Soulsborne games. Mm-hmm. Even though it's not like a FromSoft game, right? It just. It has that Ninja Gaiden snappiness to it. Everything feels smooth. Mm. Um, I, I wouldn't call it a masterpiece or anything. It's, it's just like a solid 8 or 9 out of 10 fun time that reminds me of the Ninja Gaiden get days. You're talking uh, about the very, Xbox Ninja Gaiden games? Yeah, that's what I'm talking I, I about. I'm not, I'm not a huge talking. fan of, yeah. Oh, yeah. If you love those games, you'll love... Neo 2 is basically Ninja Gaiden 2, but with Souls gameplay. It's it's Awesome. It's really it's really fun. It even has a lot of those brutal executions that you see in Ninja Gaiden 2, mm. and there's a lot of gore. Um, it's just fun. Mm-hmm. I, I don't really have much more to say about it. It's just a fun time. Yeah. Uh, if you're looking for just a fun, grindy... Uh, looter from soft style game it's great uh, I also played Tetris effect a little bit which is very hard even on normal mode yeah. but it's <laughs> it's an experience uh, I just get into these med- this meditative state when I'm playing the game and mm. uh, the game has this kind of nice subtext to it where the first uh the first level in the game you're playing this game and you hear this song in the background going like we're all connected Mm -hmm. and it's like it's this kind of nice reminder that tetris is this universal language that connects all of Mm -hmm. us so it's it's cheesy but it's 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 resonant Mm -hmm. um it's a cool it's a cool game and uh it's cool what they do. They turn Tetris into just this amazing audiovisual experience. Mm-hmm. So I'm enjoying that a lot. Are you playing too. that on PSVR um, or just regular? 
Oh, I'm just doing regular, but I know people who have played it on PSVR, and I actually remember listening to the Giant Bombcast, and Jeff Gertzman was saying that like the way to play that game is PSVR. So apparently, I'm not experiencing right. it to its fullest potential, but I've heard that it's it's quite pretty an good. Experience. I have it on PSVR. It's pretty. It's pretty like wow. It's the thing. The only problem with it is like that you still have to play Tetris. Like I just want to watch all the stuff. It's hard. It's hard to like see what's going <laughs> yeah. on around you in this 3D space and also play the game well. <laughs> it's like difficult to do, mm. and the game's hard, like you said. So it's yeah, 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 yeah. Hmm. Yeah, case to be made to just put it on easy mode so you can just take in yeah. all of the uh, beautiful definitely. visuals. Hmm. Honestly, it is definitely a beautiful yeah. game. It's funny that you were playing it because I also was playing that this uh, the other night. I, I played it. I did not play it in VR. I played it on a sixty-five inch TV with HDR enabled. So it was. I, I feel like I was like thirty percent there. Mm. <laughs> I don't know about that. I don't know. <laughs> yeah, maybe not. I, I don't know. I'll have to. I'll have to try it next time I'm up with you guys. But uh, but so yeah, I got a I got a PlayStation Four. I've joined the console gaming elite. Um, I, I I'm it's enjoying it. The one. Actually thing yeah thanks there. thank you kevin uh <laughs> the the one thing i am a little uncertain about is this thing sounds like a fucking vacuum cleaner yes, it does. Like, it's just like <laughs> like what is going on i thought i've had some loud video cards but they don't even come close what yeah do i, I remember to, does somebody know playing some game on it i what it was and i like couldn't understand the dialogue because the drive was just you know grinding away yeah and it was like at nighttime so i couldn't have the volume too loud that thing is a very loud oh console. The fans are loud i think the drive's loud it's a loud console. It also makes the room very warm, fortunately. Yeah, and it's sitting in a entertainment center like cubby, uh, so I, I'm like worried that it's gonna bake itself. No, I don't be know. Okay. I, I'll, I'll have to figure that out. I, I've heard that if you blow it out, it'll quiet. Like apparently, the accumulation of dust will make the fan have to work harder over time. So maybe I can fix it. But I, I'm I'm having fun with it. It's nice sitting on the couch and playing games. And you know, Last of Us Two looks really great. It, it, exceptional, actually. And uh, yeah, it's fun. Pretty cool. I guess I also wanted to talk about Valorant. Valorant put out an update. Valorant is a 5v5 competitive shooter by Riot Games, the makers of League of Legends. It is a game I've spent probably 200 hours playing this year. It's been a pretty good COVID game. And it's very much Counter-Strike Go with uh, kind of Overwatch-style heroes that are a little more dialed back. Um, so it's a free game. So if you have liter a computer that's like even like a 10-year-old computer would totally be able to play it. Um, it's it's free. It's fun. They just put out an update that has Deathmatch, which I think is helpful because I have some questions about how the bullet mechanics in that game work. And uh, the Deathmatch kind of helps me solve some of those issues. Um, I don't know. I think I want to have Josh on to talk more about that game in the future, kind of get really nuts and bolts on it. But it's, it's a very fun, a very addictive competitive shooter. Uh, Hopefully they'll bring it to console soon. I don't know if if they'll, I think they'll probably bring it to next gen consoles. Maybe. I want to briefly mention that I just completed Doom sixty four again on the uh, the Steam release. Oh, sick! Uh, <laughs> nice. Yeah, I, I nice. kind of chugging through that one slowly. Um, that game is amazing. If you like classic Doom, don't miss that game. It's fantastic. I'm playing now the DLC levels or whatever the new ones made by Panic Button, and they're totally John Romero style. Like they clearly read his design philosophy because they are very that they're like totally his, his his style, which is cool. You're talking about the the seven yeah. level, the lost levels. Yeah, called. that that was a really good. Uh, I, I was surprised at how well those levels were designed. Yeah. Like like they were very exceptional, and definitely they read John Rom, John yeah. Romero's design sheet and followed every one of those rules to the T. Yep. Uh, which which makes me I, I wanna 
a, a special announcement, which I probably should, maybe I'll move this to the beginning of the podcast, but we're going to be doing kind of like a book club thing, right? Everybody here is going to be involved and we're going to have some guests and we are, we're going to, we're going to announce the first three episodes of the season. The first season will be six episodes. So the first three are going to be on Doom, Half-Life and Halo. Uh, and the Doom episode should be coming out either or probably by the 1st of September. So look out for that. It'll be a dedicated episode. And so this is Doom from 1993, the original Doom game, DOS Doom. Um, but yeah, you can play along with us for this uh, Jump Crouch Game Club or whatever we're going to call it. And So so get started on Doom. Mm-hmm. And Hell that game's yeah. uh, playable yeah. on like they got the all the console ports are good. I have the Switch port. I'm gonna be I'm gonna be yes. playing on PC Switch yes. source ports, but all the console ports are amazing. So there's really no reason. No, the not PS4 to or Xbox One. Yeah, they're really something very very good. Very good. So. And it comes with all it comes with that Panic Room episode and other stuff too. So yeah, we're just we're mostly gonna stick to the first game, but we'll talk a little bit about Doom Two, a little about Doom 2016, Doom Three. We'll throw in some some extra conversation. But if you want to play along, start now. Play Doom. The original 1998 Half-Life, not the Black Mesa source port or the remake or whatever, and Halo, the CE. Okay. Hell yeah. I'm just going to keep saying <laughs> hell, hell yeah. yeah over and over. All right. And uh, here, here, here's, a, here's a feature that we're going to be trying out where every episode we're going to talk about an article that kind of, uh, you know, we found interesting, maybe, you know, struck our mind that we thought would be worth having a conversation this episode comes from Ki Hoon Chan, who's writing for Polygon, and the title, which I think is a little clickbaity and doesn't fully articulate what the article is about, is Games Need to Return to Black and White Morality. Link in the description. Byline, tales of good versus evil are more relevant than ever, which I think is a better... Yeah. more Actually, more accurately captures what, 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 the, what the writer's what trying to get at. What do you guys think about this this article? Well, uh, I do. I do want to say right off the bat, because uh, you shared this article with me, and when you shared it with me, when I, I saw the article, and I was like, "What? What is this? What is this hot take nonsense?" Yeah, <laughs> it's yeah. like, um, but but after having read the article, I, I do think it is an interesting idea. This uh, because, gosh, it covers so many things that I don't really think about when I think about gray morality characters. Um, because sometimes when games do gray morality, character driven storytelling, when they do it poorly, it can, it can actually take away from the stakes of the narrative. Mm -hmm. Like I'm, I'm kind of thinking of the Far Cry game. Sometimes Far Cry games will implement it poorly where it's like, you're, you're the same as me sort of thing. The villain will say that to you. And it actually ends up lowering the stakes because you start to feel like you're not really doing anything meaningful mm-hmm. in the narrative. Mm-hmm. Um, but on the other hand, when a game like The Last of Us does it well, it can really make you think about empathy or the grand scheme of things in a way that's very interesting and resonant. So yeah. that's kind of my take yeah. on it. Okay. I was think- How about you, I Kevin? was thinking about like, well, there's really no, like, I don't think one's better than the other. If you're looking at gray stories versus, you know, black, like, good and evil stories, like, they both have their place in different genres and styles. But, like, if I think about, like, sure. what I don't like in gray stories is, like, kind of what Orm was saying. Like, if I think of, like, the GTA 4 story, like, the main character's just, it's just this revenge story. 
And like, I don't care yeah. about whether he wins or not because I don't really like the character. I don't like the villain. I don't like anyone involved. And it's kind of how I felt about Far Cry <laughs> as well. Like Far Cry Five. Like I don't feel like I didn't like anyone in the story. So I just didn't. I wasn't rooting for anyone. I wasn't rooting for my character, and I wasn't rooting for the villain. Like I ended up thinking the villain was the most interesting and compelling character, but I didn't really like like them. You know. So sure. like, if yeah. I compare that to like Wolfenstein, you know, B.J. Blazkowicz killing Nazis, love it. You know, like that's that's I'm totally on board right. with that, right? Black. That's actually a good example of a black and white, yeah, but a, very compelling. A black and white, tale. but very yeah, it totally holds me. But you know, at the same time, there's there's great a lot of great stories that are, you know, that are very interesting as well. Okay. So, yeah. Well, I, the thing that I took from this is there's I think. There's, there's two ways to think about this. One is the, the writer seems to be positing that there's sort of like perspectivism and objectivism, which are kind of two different ways of looking at morality, which we're not going to get too, too in depth here. But like in short, objectivism is this error. There is this objective perspective on morality that is, that is, that is the most right. And it is the, there is an objectively good thing and an objectively bad thing. And, and the story should be clear about that. The other is perspectivism, right? Which is sort of like from the work of uh, Frederick Nietzsche, like, there are different perspectives and different perspectives have narratives that can kind of explain and justify how they got to be where they are. And I think that the author is working with the assumption that perspectivism views that all perspectives are equally good or bad. And that these morally, that these morally gray stories lend to a sort of nihilism, which which I think is true maybe of some of them. Like, I think that might be true of Bioshock Infinite, which, spoiler alert, I haven't actually played. I've just heard a million people talk about. Um, but I, I don't think it's true of The Last of Us Part Two, And I don't think... I, one of the examples they use, which I think is kind of telling, is they, they talk about Game of Thrones, right? Which, whatever you think about it, Game of Thrones is is sort of, yeah, the paradigmatic gray storytelling with... With with antiheroes and 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 you know different shades of gray instead of black and white, but Game of Thrones is a deeply moral work. Like it's it, it has it has very strong. It's it's making some very strong claims about the world, but it's not using its characters to do that so much. I mean, it is to some extent, but it's more more or less using the the way that institutions work together. Um, I think in, in short, I think it's a mistake to call Game of Thrones a nihilistic work. Uh, mm-hmm. it, whereas if you contrast that with something like No Country for Old Men, I, I, I could see that that accusation like it's a morally gray story that doesn't really have a moral center, and that's maybe that's kind of the virtue of it in, in that for that film. Yeah, yeah, I think I think I mean No Country for Old Men's awesome. That's one of my favorite movies, mm-hmm. so I'm not going to dispute that. Um, I, I I just think it really kind of comes down to how effectively something is doing something. Um, That's really what it boils down to. If they're going for the more perspectivism approach and they nail that, that's great. If they're doing the more objectivism approach, that's great too. Um, Because I I think the real problem is is when something doesn't succeed at doing that. Mm -hmm. Um, Like Kevin said with GTA 4, if they're kind of going for this one thing but you don't care about any of the characters and it's not intending to make a statement about how they're all the same at their core, then it's bad, you know? Yeah. So I think it really just kind of comes to intent and execution. That's kind of my two cents because sometimes authors will use kind of nihilism as a way to denigrate a work, but sometimes that's done really well and no country for old men is actually 
probably the best example of that of a work that is about is about that or like a lot of coen brothers films like a serious man mm-hmm. um that movie is in large part about how we really don't have control right <laughs> like, like like that's what the movie's about you 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 think you have it figured out but you really you you really don't have any control over your life and that's a very nihilistic thing but it's done in such a humorous and focused way in that film so i think just if a writer is just going to say something's nihilistic um and saying that's actually a bad thing i don't think that's a correct assessment to be of, to be fair to the writer they're not necessarily saying it's a bad thing their concern is that it makes the real world and how we perceive the real world grayer in an unhelpful way so that we can kind of say well uh i I guess what they're saying is that it encourages a sort of cynical centrism where it's just like well everybody's bad so how can i possibly distinguish good from bad in this world when everybody has a narrative that explains how they got to be and i don't think that that is what a good piece of gray fiction does at all um i I think that's kind of a i think that they're part of it's like like isn't I don't know what the quote exactly is, but like one man's hero is another man's villain. Like it depends on who you're asking. Like the, a, 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 yes. a compelling villain should be a character that you can understand why they did the things they do. Like they may even been doing them for personal reasons that make sense if like the story was told from their perspective. Like they may not even be doing horrible things to be horrible because they're evil, right? But just because it's right. for like, in, who are you cheering for in No Country for Old Men? Like what character do you want to succeed in that movie? Or probably Llewellyn. Probably Llewellyn, but, right? But but, but 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 not necessarily. So like, when I was playing Shadow of War, uh, your character is like always killing the orcs, right? Like the Urix. And like yeah. when I was doing so, and specifically War, not Mordor, the way that you break them in Shadow of War is so mental. And like and when I say mental, like you break them mentally. It's so It was kind of disturbing for me. And I kind of felt like I was the villain of that game because I was like, just destroying i mean they're monsters right but like i was destroying their lives in such a horrible way and like using them against each other and and it it felt like i was the villain even though like it's it is a black and white story like i felt like the main character is so like awful and the things that he's doing in that game that like it that's that game could almost be like a gray story i I don't think it's supposed to be that way but i felt that way personally like my visceral response was like oh this is bad like i'm doing really bad things i feel kind of bad i actually stopped playing (laughs) shadow of war for that reason because I felt like it was a little bit too realistic in how they were being tortured and or like things, and I didn't feel that way in Shadow of Mordor at all. Hilariously, so it's something about the way that they handled it with Shadow of War. It was more in depth and just I don't know. I, I think you're hitting onto something there. Like like a good gray story should give you a message by its outcomes rather than its characters. Yeah. Um, like mm-hmm. I, I think if you read particularly the novels of, of you know A Song of Ice and Fire, like you're not going to come away thinking that like oh there's just nothing I can do that's going to make the world a better place. You're going to come away thinking about institutions and, and about how war is a deeply immoral thing and, and more about how like practices and institutions and are, are the, the real evil in the world rather than people, right? Like, so the, the article that I am contrasting this with is uh, by uh, Zainab Tufechi, and it's called The Real Reason Fans Hate the Last Season of Game of Thrones, which, spoiler alert, this article is uh, pretty pretty in-depth spoilers for the last season of Game of Thrones. But uh, Zaynep's theory here, or Zaynep's uh, hypothesis, is that like what's happening, the reason that people didn't like the last season of Game of Thrones is that it switched from sociological storytelling, which is telling a story that the characters' motivations are inspired and motivated 
by institutions, practices, and like bigger forces in the world, and contrasting that to psychological storytelling, where like the story is driven by the psychology of the individuals, and the individuals are sort of pushing the narrative forward. Mm-hmm. And I definitely f- did. Both you guys read this article. I did, and I also. F- I felt yeah, like yeah. that like is is exactly what I was feeling, but I couldn't put into words. Like, because it felt like mm-hmm. before everything that happened was like part of how the world worked, whereas in the end it was like they they were doing like the world existed as their playground, and like they were just doing the things that they had their characters had to do, right? Like, totally. it, like it didn't feel like it was a real place anymore. The world. So, so yeah, and and I think that like like a good gray story is going to give us some of the sociological storytelling. It's going to let us examine how, how again, you know, social practice, institutions, cultural norms interact to sort of shape people and shape narratives. Yeah. I, it's kind of interesting because that article brought up the wire Mm -hmm. and, um, and I think the wire is such a great example of that piece of sociological fiction. And it's in a weird way, uh, I kind of felt it also fell for the same thing for the psychological trope in the final season with uh, with uh, McNulty's character mm-hmm. and some of the stuff that he he gets up mm-hmm. to, which I don't want to yeah, spoil, no but it involves uh, it involves a ser- serial killer. I'll just say mm-hmm. that. So it's kind of interesting that Game of Thrones and The Wire, even though like I love The Wire, I actually finally watched the whole thing this year and. Um, I felt like the fifth season of that show also kind of veered a little too closely to psychological versus sociological storytelling. Mm. Um, it, um, I've only watched the show once, so I would have to watch the show a second time to confirm that. But I just remember the first four seasons of the show, for the most part, uh, um, it, it really felt like you could understand everything the characters were doing in the circumstances they were put in. Right. And you can see where they were coming from, while while in this and it sounds like this happened in Game of Thrones as well. And see, in season five, a lot of the characters, because it kind of became a little bit more psychological and focused on this one thing this character was doing, it felt like the storytelling faltered and it wasn't a natural evolution of all the cogs in this institutional in, in all these institutions kind of working in tandem yeah so i mean without getting too into depth in depth about game of thrones uh, it definitely goes from like it, it becomes clear that they have a, a set of goals that they need to get each character to and they don't really understand how to push them there anymore mm-hmm. but, uh, because they ran out of book they basically like, so they just kind of write in give bad them reasons. cheesy yeah cheesy motivations um but like like i guess the, the thing oh, i want to no. highlight here is is i think that this author uh, of the the Polygon article is on to a point. Like we do want to encourage games. I, I do. I think it's interesting that games uh, at least make us consider, you know, ethical concerns about the world that we live in, and and maybe highlight things in a way that gives us a little clarity on those issues. Um, but I don't. I really question whether objectivist sort of morality is going to do that. I think if you look at like something like the Avengers or you know superman or classic good and evil versus tales i think actually the best example is the lord of the rings it becomes very easy to think about the narrative from the perspective of the orcs as like you know the people of gondor and the 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 hobbits are are pretty evil they're doing i mean particularly like aragorn just slaughtering orcs and stuff like there's a very weird racial genocidal thing going on um like like if you really examine the lord of the rings 
ethically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, but it, but it, it gives justification to bad things. Mm-hmm. Like breaking the orc so badly in Shadow of War. <laughs> right. Like it's okay to do these horrible things constantly, like constantly, like the whole game's about that. Yeah. So like what I'm saying is like, like good, like really black and white morality tends to like muddy the waters in ways that gray morality doesn't. And I think this author is worried that, that having too much gray fiction does muddy the waters, but I think that they're, they're missing something there. Like it it actually, it gives us some empathy to why people do bad things. And then it gives us some insight into what, what is really going on. That's, that's, that's what's the real bad thing, right? Mm -hmm. Like to give a real world example, like, is the bad thing like a rogue police officer that's doing something bad or is it a system that's set up that, that just has a whole bunch of bad incentives that allows bad actors to continually, you know, behave poorly? I think it's harder to nail that in a video game just because like it's player driven and like you are controlling mm-hmm. the character and you're like doing the stuff for the player, you know? Yeah, but actually I, I, I'll push back on that because I think there are some pretty good examples of games doing that. Like the game uh, Darkest Dungeon. Mm-hmm. It does a very good job of of kind of what you were saying about Shadow of War. I think it was the game. Uh, is that it 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 gives you a bunch of incentives to treat your workers more or less like shit. Yeah. And then at, once you realize <laughs> that like to win the game, you have to be kind of a shitty boss. You start to really, mm-hmm. like it. It gives you some insight into being a shitty boss. It gives you some insight into the sort of systems that drive that way. And it's like you're either playing the game well or you're having some concern for your workers. Uh, Right, so it works yeah, like, in a game like, where you control a party, maybe, but not a single player, like where you control one person, like an action game or, a, you know, Red Dead. I don't, you know, I don't know. Like, I think Red Dead might be kind of an example of some light sociological storytelling. Uh, I felt like the second game was strongly, like, it's Arthur's story. Red Dead Redemption 2, when I was when I was playing that game, and then, like, when I watched The Wire, I know I keep bringing The Wire back, um, but I, th- I, I did see a lot of similarities because I, I do, when I'm playing the game, I do think Arthur Morgan is a victim of the culture of the, of obsolescence mm-hmm. of these mm-hmm. greater, um, historical movements that are happen happening. He's a victim of time. Like as I'm playing the game, I don't think what is happening to him and the path he goes down is happening because of his moral decisions necessarily, right. even though the, you know, the character is shooting all these people the entire game. I think it's actually these, these, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. But, but at least the way the game is told through cutscenes, I got the sense that it was a much more sociological story where these, this band of characters meet their fate, their respective fates because of these, these bigger things that are right. The change in, in history, the, the end of the West. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, I think um, that that is relevant. But I just think of like how the story ends up going. It's like it seems like it's a personal tale overall. Yeah, uh, yeah. I, I think I think though, kind of going back to the whole just moral part of it, the psychological moral part of it. It seems like the more psychologically written stories, it's. It's the character, the reason why the character is headed down this path is because of a bad thing that they did, like a clearly bad moral decision Mm -hmm. that they made or ethical decision. With Arthur Morgan, I think it's 
not that at all. I think it's definitely more sociological. Right. Um, at least based on what I remember of the game, because I played it two years Certainly ago. Certainly the big so. arc of the story, and, and I haven't beaten it, but I understand where it goes, is, I mean, the whole point of the story is about the, is about a changing moment in history where these sort of like vestigial cultural elements of the past are kind of wiped out by the new institutions of the future. And Arthur is like an exemplification of that. So like he, he's this old West cowboy yeah. who's 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 meeting the 20th century and the 20th century doesn't want old West cowboys and outlaws anymore. So they're sending down the full force of the law. And I guess it, Red Dead uh, Redemption one actually is probably even even better version of that because it's it's like it's it's literally an institution eradicating the past. Mm hmm. Well, you articulated it way better than I could. That's like exactly what I was going for, but that's perfect. The only thing I would add to it is I just think it's kind of shocking looking at that time in history and seeing how the law was enforced. It was literally just state-sanctioned murder. Mm -hmm. <laughs> it's just, it's just. I think that game really captures that. It's an interesting perspective because you could look at it through that lens, but you also could look at it as like a, a revenge story, like a redemption story. Like if you look at john and arthur's stories through like the entire arc of both games like mm -hmm. it's it definitely comes down to that being yeah i it, mean but, i think it's both well that, it, that is interesting yeah huh. it, i mean if you look at if, if you look at like the some of the, the last final moments of those games they're pretty you know about a certain theme but i guess like i guess it's both because it, it is obviously yeah. about it's it's kind of it's it's a mix of sociological and personal because it's totally also a personal story. It's also about like Arthur's struggle with like who he is and like his morality. Mm -hmm. Like it's a psychological piece. It's, it's, I guess it's both really. If you, if you, yeah. If you frame it that way. And I think game of Thrones is both too. Yeah. I mean, I think, and I think the wire is both, I think the best fiction or not the best fiction, but the fiction that's doing that, that particular thing, if, if it's doing sociological storytelling, it should also be doing psychological storytelling, but it, it the story is going to be broadly driven by the, the institution, sociological the impact, the culture, yeah. But but then of course it's going to be about how the characters' psychology reacts to those bigger forces, um, as opposed to just you know I want a, a character's merely a character psychology changing history or something. Um, I, I think the example that uh, that that the author gives in the the second article is like this thought experiment that people will talk about: Would you go back in time and kill Hitler? Right, as, as sort of like a, a moral thought experiment. Like, if you could go back and kill Hitler, you might stop World War II. But of course, that's horseshit. Like, World War II was started by, in part, World War One and yeah. economic causes and, and political causes and the Treaty of Versailles and and just the 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 weight of history is what brought World War II, not Adolf Hitler. Yeah, yeah, you, you can make that argument for not to get too political, but you can make that argument for Donald Trump as well, right? It's like. Absolutely, a lot of people yeah. will point mm -hmm. to Trump. You, they'll point to Trump, but it's really—he's really just a bigger symptom yeah. of what America was, he where America was headed mm -hmm. all along. So it's the same idea. Yeah, and and that's the—that's um, what she big point she makes in that article is that like we all focus on like these like one people thing, like like a single person as like the entire impact of something, and not like the entire like historical context of like where the world was in that time period, or you know what what led to that. Yeah. Not to not to not to tie it back to The Last of Us one more time, but that definitely has sociological storytelling. Just gonna say that I, so. I, I'm getting that from the beginning, <laughs> and, and I think that like <laughs> The Last of Us is something. I mean, that's that's what the image they use on the title of the the Polygon piece. Um, 
Yeah. So, so I, what I about mean, the first game? Uh, do you think the first game is? I don't, I haven't played enough to, to to make a case for that either way. No, I think that's a pr- more personal. Okay. I would I would say. So I don't I don't know. What do you think, Warren? Yeah, I I mean a lot of the game, gosh, it's 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 hard to talk about because I'm just gonna spoil the whole game. But the game makes narrative decisions that establishes that it has a very broad focus in mind mm-hmm. that involves multiple sets of right. characters. So you're talking about the first game. It, no, oh, the second oh, yeah. game. the 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 first The first game does have a little bit of it because a lot of what the first game is about is when put in this desperate apocalypse, humans are just going to naturally be horrible to each other, um, especially in in the United States, which we're actually kind of seeing with the coronavirus, like just this rugged individualism, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, so so it, that that was a theme in the first game, but they really extrapolated in the second game um, in some very controversial narrative decisions that happen and but to me they were amazing to some people not so much yeah. but 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 it really does expand this some of these sociological storytelling conceits that we're talking about so yeah ultimately i think i i kind of i find something very interesting about the polygon article and in, in this thought that there maybe should be some games with and i think that the author is kind of saying maybe we should place morally uncompromising characters in gray worlds to give us sort of like uh, paradigmatic virtuous people to sort of aspire to or to or, or to, to color the tale a little better so that it doesn't become this sort of cynical nihilistic perspective um, but I, I think that there's ultimately a lot of value well, more value to to these these gray stories in, in that they give us empathy and that they they give us tell bigger tales about institutions and do you guys historical factors have a preference yeah. for um the more traditional you know evil and good or or these gray what do you like because I, I first i was thinking i prefer gray but i'm like well i actually kind of like both i don't really think one's better i i can't stand black and white morality tales if, if we're if being perfectly honest the, i mean I it find can be it predictable almost repulsive like it, it because it paints the world in a way that i feel like the world just is not but i mean it's not necessarily the world is our world it's a, a world so like yeah there's got to have some I, like you know it's relative to that 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 world i think there's room for it obviously i mean i think there's room for everything uh but like for me i, I find it it's very hard to buy into yeah, I mean, I think there's like kind of a time and place for everything. I don't know. I mean, I'm obviously gonna uh, kind of gravitate towards more gray morality stories. That's what I'm interested in. But at the same time, I do like those Wolfenstein games. Yeah, so. that's true. Yeah, the Wolfenstein's and, or good. like and, you know, and, even and, games yeah. that aren't about the story, like Doom. It's fun to kill the evil demons. You know, shoot them. You know, Mario defeating Bowser is a fun thing to do. Right, but those are just like for me. Like Doom is just trappings to to. Well, that's to the what I mean. Like, Everything doesn't need narrative. to be like about the story to, to to address this idea. True. So, True. like, there's a lot of, and that's kind of could be a, a useful place for these kind of things. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I was I was also gonna say like one of my favorite filmmakers is Quentin Tarantino, and I think he does the black and white morality thing really creatively, where he'll just like take these horrible. Uh, groups of people in history like slave owners, like Nazis like the Manson family and then he's he's like screw them, 
I'm just gonna kill those people yeah. <laughs> and revise history. And he like does it in like a really uh so I think it can be done like really well. Um but uh yeah, I don't know. I mean like I obviously gravitate to- more towards one over the other and uh, apologies, Kevin, for cutting you off. Oh, it's all it's all good. <laughs> I'm just kind of like just like, you know, exploring the idea of this because it's something I hadn't thought about in depth. So like mm-hmm. more than anything, like whether I agree with the article writer or not, it was just interesting to like think about this you know, in a, like in a detailed way and be like, oh, well, what do what do I think? What, what, are, what are examples of things of, of, you know, of all these things that I like? Like what what is the morality of Dark Souls? There's like they don't even have the like the luxury of morality in that world. <laughs> Or, yeah, or, or I mean, I'm, I'm sure you could find it. I, I haven't done the, the work to even begin to be able to explain what it would be, but I'm, I'm sure there's something to be yeah. mined from that. Or like Hotline Miami, that's a that's a pretty gray story. Is right? it, though? I mean, it's, that's one of those stories where you find out you're the bad guy. I mean, I guess, spoiler alert. But uh, <laughs> are you, I, though? Like, like, who, like, I mean, <laughs> I mean, this, the, just try to really know if, if, who is the villain. Who is the villain? Is, the, is it the, the cleaners or is it you? I, I don't know. It's yeah, not really a villain. It's like a personal it's story. It's a question. It's That's a discussion worth having. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. Yeah, I'd have to. It's been a while. You, you, you know, it is kind of interesting talking about this because I actually think maybe part of the reason why people responded so negatively to the last Jedi is because that was a star Wars movie that started to broach gray morality. Mm. And I think a lot of people like when they saw that, they're like, what the, this is, this isn't star yeah. Wars. So careful though. We, that's we, maybe we, part of the reason we had a whole podcast. on star <laughs> yes. Wars. I'm not going to go off. Apparently it was contentious. It was contentious <laughs> among the listeners. Really? Uh, and, and that's what you told me. Uh, so oh, I, I don't mean the podcast. I mean, the opinions expressed yeah. were contentious. That's true. <laughs> oh, oh yeah. I, I'm not, I'm not going to say if I like or dislike the movie, I'm just going to say that could be the <laughs> part of the reason why, totally. um, why, why it was yeah. so controversial because it did broach, uh, gray morality. It is. Definitely. Yeah. My, my no, premise was I, that it was trying to be so. transgressive to star Wars, but I didn't. Yeah. Mm. That's all I'll say. Cool. But I didn't. Oh, oh no! The, the comments are going to explode. Well, I, we had a whole thing about it already. Like I've already expressed my thoughts. So. Yeah, we did. We did a whole Star Wars. Uh, th- uh, we did a three takes podcast. Um, apparently, my my take was 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 lumped into the a take that I don't feel like I made. But in any case, uh, <laughs> Ki Hoon Chan, thank you for your article on black and white morality. Uh, Zainab Chufechi, love, love, love your article in Scientific American about uh, sociological storytelling. Check those out in the description. Uh, and I think. That is all we have time for this week, but we will be back with an episode on Doom by the 1st of September and uh, another regular podcast in two weeks. So stay tuned. Uh, check out Oren. Where do we find you, Oren? Oh, yeah. I, I think I actually plugged myself earlier. Yeah, in the plug podcast, it again. Just, just but, uh, go crazy. Why not? Right. Right. Why not? Uh, my, the name of my YouTube channel is Oren Luck. Orin Luck, O-R-R-I-N-L-U-C, uh, link in the description. And uh, again, just it's a channel that looks at video games through the lens of filmmaking. I'll take a video game and then look at a movie in relation to show how one informs or influences the other. I did a, a video on how David Cronenberg may have influenced Re- the Resident Evil 2 remake or how the Texas Chainsaw Massacre may have influenced Resident Evil 7. And my new video is about Ghost of Tsushima and whether it successfully evokes the spirit of Akira Kurosawa or not. As you may infer, I don't think it does. Mm. But (laughs) watch the video to learn a little bit 
about that. And yeah, that's what I do. I try I try to make videos as much as I can, but I also don't want to force inspiration. So sometimes I, I'll make four videos within two months. Other times I just won't make a video for like three months and then I'll finally make a video. And that's just my process. Procrastination is unfortunately a part of my process. Yeah. So, um, check it out. Yeah. yeah but, but, you, but yeah, check it out. Cool. All right. Uh, that is all we have time for this week. I want to thank Madden, uh, who you can find a link to for the show music. Madden, we love you. Uh, Soundcloud.com slash M-A-D-Y-N. And uh, we'll be back in two weeks. Yes. Yeah.